This is Crime Connections, and we're your host. I'm Leah. And I'm Jackie. So today I'm bringing you another unsolved case, but I first want to start out by saying that this case does involve the assault and murder of a minor. So please, if that's something that you might find too difficult to listen to, I completely understand, and I would encourage you to skip this particular episode because it does get a little brutal later on. Our case today is about the abduction and murder of Amy Mahalovic. So this case takes place in Bay Village, Ohio. Bay Village is a city that is west of Cleveland and just east of a city called Avon Lake. It is right on the shores of Lake Erie. Bay Village is a city that is very well known for being safe. It's great for raising a family, and at the time of this crime, it was 1989, so it was still very much a time when kids could ride their bikes around, be out until the street lamps turned on, and the parents weren't too concerned about where they were or what was going on. Everybody kind of knew everybody. On Friday morning of October 27, 1989, 10-year-old Amy Mahalovic had told her mom that she had choir tryouts after school, so she would be arriving home a little later than usual that day. Amy and her older brother Jason would both ride their bikes to school and back almost every day. So around 7.20 a.m., Amy left her house and rode her bike to school. Every day after school, Jason and Amy would arrive home. They would call their mom and let her know that they made it home safely. Usually by about 3 p.m., Margaret Mahalovic had heard from both of her children. On this day, Jason had called Margaret to let her know that he made it home, but Amy still had not. Jason usually arrived home after Amy about an hour or so, so her not being home yet to him was alarming. But Margaret recalled that Amy had mentioned trying out for choir, so Margaret just informed Jason to wait a little bit longer and call her back later. About 15-20 minutes later at 3.30 p.m., Jason called his mother again to report that Amy was still not home. Even though Amy had a reason to be late, her mother had a bad feeling about why Amy was so late to being home and decided to pack up for the day to get home and check on her kids. Margaret Mahalovic worked at Trading Times Magazine in West Lake, Ohio, so she was only about five to ten minutes away from their house anyways. But right as Margaret was going to leave for work, the unexpected happened. Amy called her. Margaret was relieved to hear from Amy, and she assumed that Amy was calling her from home. So they talked, they said their goodbyes, they hung up the phone, and there was no reason for Margaret to suspect that Amy wasn't calling from their home line. And there was no way for Margaret to know that that was the last time that she would speak to her daughter, Amy. Margaret went back to work, but something still felt very off to her about the conversation she had with Amy. I think it was just that instinctual motherly feeling, and not even just a motherly feeling, just that instinctual gut feeling that kept nagging at her Mm -hmm. and left her feeling very unsettled. Like, Like when something happens, you just know something doesn't feel right about this. Yeah. And it just nags at you, and you can't get it off your mind. Well, and you have to remember that caller ID is a more newer thing. Yes. So more than likely, obviously, she probably didn't have caller ID at all. That's no. why she was assuming it was from their house. Yeah, and what sense. there was no other reason for her not to. And she never thought to ask to speak to Jason. Mm-hmm. She never thought to ask Amy to, I don't know, do something to prove that she was at home. Because in her mind, Amy was calling. That must have meant she came home. Yeah. So she went back to work. Uh, But she still decided to leave work early and go home to check on the kids. So Margaret arrived home around 4.30 p.m. 
and she found that Amy still had not returned home. So that is when she discovered that Amy didn't call her from their house. Yeah. Immediately, Margaret got back into her car and drove to Bay Middle School, where Amy had been all day. Once she arrived, the doors to the school were locked. There were no other cars around. All that was left was Amy's aqua-colored bike still sitting in the bike rack. Mm -hmm. It was at that moment that Margaret knew something was very, very wrong. And she can be heard in quite a few interviews after Amy's disappearance saying that that was the moment she knew something horrible had happened when she saw her daughter's bike still sitting in the bike rack. So from the school, Margaret drove directly to the Bay Village Police Department, and she reported Amy missing. Now, usually in most cases, you see that police officers wait until 24 hours have passed to report a child missing. Mm -hmm. I did find in my research that in 1989, most children abductions at that time were not broadcasted as kidnappings until police confirmed it. So even if a child was missing and parents believed that their child had been abducted, until the police came out and said 100% yes, this child was abducted, radio, TV, they would just report that the child was last seen here and was missing. Mm. So for Amy to only have been missing for less than two hours, it wouldn't have been very unusual for it to be considered just a missing minor. But or a I, runaway. Or a runaway. But I did also speak to a friend of mine that is a police officer, and I learned that at least now... It might have been different back in 1989, but at least now, any child under the age of 12 is immediately classified as missing regardless of the circumstances. So police immediately start working on the case for any minor 12 and younger. At the Bay Village Police Department, Officer Barbara Slapecki had been the one to almost immediately classify Amy's case as a child abduction which caused the entire department to start working on finding Amy. So Officer Saplecki exclaimed that it was Margaret's urgency Mm. and how sure Margaret was that something terrible had happened to her daughter that made her classify Amy as an abducted child, not just missing, but that Amy was abducted. Because in Bay Village, things like this didn't happen. Children didn't just go missing in the middle of the day. So obviously something a little bit more sinister had happened. By about 5 p.m., an hour and a half after last hearing from Amy, the first police bulletin was put out to all surrounding agencies in West Lake, Rocky River, Avon Lake, and Fairview Park. This crime happened a decade before the Amber Alert was put into effect, so at that time, a police bulletin was the only way to get the word out that a child was missing. And a police bulletin is typically, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. is when they send a fax to all of the local police yes. departments of the face, the description, the last per- like all the details that you possibly can need. Yes, sent to each department cuz back then that was really the only way they could get the information out. Yes, they had a full description of what Amy looked like, where she was last seen, what she was last wearing, all of that information and it also the bulletin was sent to radio broadcastings as well. Oh, that's so it cool. was broadcasted on the radio and it was broadcasted Uh, on TV as well. Which I would say good job to them because that's a lot more than most police departments do. It is. Even, especially during not to this day, but like, especially back then. Yes, during that time. I mean, now we get alerts on our phones, Mm -hmm. our watches, even our laptops, and Mm -hmm. it's loud and it's blaring and it tells you this child is missing, this is the car, this is the description. They didn't have that back then. Yeah, exactly. So around 6 p.m. that evening, Amy's dad, Mark Mahalovic, arrived home to find police searching his home. And the news 
that his little girl was believed to have been abducted. There was no way to call him and let him know what was going on. And Margaret has also, the mom has been seen in interviews. I think that that was one of the last things on her mind was calling the dad. She just wanted to get everybody working to try and find Amy. So right away, friends and family started searching everywhere. They all wanted to help and they couldn't just sit around doing nothing. The police station had been turned into a command post with countless volunteers bringing extra supplies. People volunteered their boats to search the lake because they were right there on the shores of the lake. They volunteered their cars to drive around, and some people even volunteered their dogs to search the woods. It wasn't long before the entire city had pitched in to help. A family friend had been the one to take Amy's picture to the news station to have it broadcasted for everyone to see. Because police had already classified Amy's case as a child abduction, her case was broadcasted right away. When the friend returned back to the Mahalovic house, she described that she could hear Margaret screaming upon seeing her daughter's face on the news, broadcasted as an abducted 10-year-old. Bay Village was a very safe and quiet town. Children didn't get abducted in the middle of the day until now. Night had passed without any word or signs of Amy, which really troubled investigators. Around 7 a.m. the next morning, Saturday, October 28th, The FBI became involved in the case. Special Agent Dick Wren led the FBI investigation. He lived in Bay Village, and he had children Amy's age. So this case was hitting very close to home for him. Really quickly, I just want to say I am very impressed with how serious they're taking this case. And how quickly it's escalating. Because typically, no matter now or then, um, back in the day or current, please never take missing people as serious as they should right unless there's evidence right away that they were Mm -hmm. abducted such as a video someone witnessing it something and that's what's kind of crazy there was no evidence that she'd been abducted at that time there was no evidence the the day of the abduction they do find out we'll get into it a little bit later they had some evidence come forward but on the day that she went missing friday october 27th no one had come forward saying, oh, yep, I saw Amy get abducted. She was kicking and screaming, and she was taken away by some person. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, like, very shocked that I think even the be- FBI was involved. Like, that's crazy to me. It makes me wonder if it's because it was such a small town where everybody knew everybody, and they knew Amy, they knew the Mahalovics. I don't... I don't know. And I think that the um, officer, Barbara Slopecki, everyone has said that she was a huge reason why everybody hit the ground running and I think it was just because it was a mom to a mom Mm -hmm. and you know when something has happened to your child and it's just like I said that instinctual gut feeling so it is it is great that they listen to Margaret's concerns impressed I guess you could say Mm -hmm. so special agent Ren and the lead detective Jim Tompkins started canvassing the area and asking neighbors if they had seen or heard anything It was then that a neighbor gave them crucial information that would help really open the case. One of Amy's close friends had told her parents that a mystery man had been secretly calling Amy and had made plans with her to meet at Bay Square Shopping Center that Friday. Oh, no. Never good. No. It is believed that this unknown male made several calls to Amy and convinced her to go shopping for a gift for Amy's mom because of a promotion she had just received at work. But Amy's mom didn't receive any promotion. She started a new job. There was no promotion that she had received. But being a 10-year-old, 
I don't think Amy knew the difference. Mm-hmm. When I was 10, I barely knew what my mom did for a living. I wouldn't have known yeah. if she switched jobs or had a promotion. That's just not something that you worry about at 10. The plan was to meet at the shopping center, and then the unknown male would drive to a larger mall to help Amy pick out a gift for her mom. And there was the promise that Amy would even get something special for helping. This obviously grabbed the attention of authorities and told them that this was not just a random abduction. This unknown male knew Amy's phone number. They knew her name, her mom's name, where Amy lived, where her mom worked. They knew all of the crucial information to get Amy to blindly trust them. Mm-hmm. This unknown male caller was convincing enough in his story to get Amy to meet him at the shopping center in broad daylight right across the street from the police station. So that's another big key here. At the time, it's different now in 2023. In Bay Village, the shopping center isn't right across the street from the police station anymore. But back then, where Amy was abducted from was right across the street from the police station. Which is crazy. Like, that's so... Mm. Yes. He was confident enough in his plan that he was able to lead Amy away from the shopping center full of people on a Friday afternoon without causing anyone to second guess what was happening. Which then makes you think, does she know him other than them talking on the phone? Like, does she know him from somewhere else? So everywhere so far, it's believed that she had no idea who he was, but because he made so many phone calls... And the thing, too, is that her older brother, Jason, he had heard the phone calls sometimes. And Amy was 10. She told some friends about the phone calls, too. But nobody took it very seriously. Nobody thought anything sinister about it. Yeah. So I think just because of all the phone calls that he made and this unknown male, he tailored his pitch perfectly to get her to go with him. So when he came up to her and said, oh, I'm so-and-so, he must have seemed and looked trustworthy. And she just went with him. So usually in these cases, there's no evidence to go off of, and it's nearly impossible to know who to look for. But Amy's case was a little different. There were witnesses from the shopping center that saw Amy and this unknown male. Two witnesses had come forward and described the male as white, aged 20 to 30, 5'7 to 5'10, medium build, dark hair, and he was possibly wearing glasses. Possibly. So there were varying stories Mm -hmm. one witness said no he wasn't and the other witness said yes he was which he could have easily had them on taking them off exactly Mm -hmm. so one witness saw the man talking to amy while the other witness saw the man leading amy through the parking lot neither witness had any reason to believe that amy was in danger and they both actually believed the man could be her father Mm. which makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. when amy had left school that day Instead of getting on her bike, she had walked alongside her friend Olivia to the shopping center, and Olivia also was able to give investigators details about the unknown male and help with the composite. So the composite picture has a picture of the man with glasses and without, which is just to try and give the varying what people thought they saw. Yeah. Saturday night came which marked the 24-hour mark of Amy's disappearance. Special agent Bren said that with Amy gone 24 hours and the setup story with the stranger, we knew if we didn't find her quick, it was clear we were dealing with a crisis situation. Nobody stopped looking, and volunteers continued to pass out Amy's missing person flyer. Her story reached national and international level with FBI agents never resting on her case. They sent her police bulletin and her story to Europe, 
to Asia, to Australia, just in case this man had fleed with her. Rewards were offered for any information leading to finding her and her abductor. Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted both ran Amy's story and urged people to be on the lookout for this blonde-haired, brown-eyed, 10-year-old girl. And back then, Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted, those were the huge shows. Yeah. And those were the ones that people watched Mm -hmm. all the time to see the most up-and-coming crime. Amy's 11th birthday on December 11th, 1989, came and went with her father believing in his heart that he would never see his daughter again, which is heartbreaking for sure on february 8th 1990 a woman named janet siebold was running alongside county road 1181 in ashland ohio and saw a small figure in a pale green sweatsuit lying face down janet immediately ran to the nearest farmhouse and called 911 the scene was immediately secured the fbi was called and once the identification was made, Amy's family was notified that their daughter, Amy Mahalovic, was found murdered. Oh, that's so sad. So a little bit about Amy. Amy Renee Mahalovic was born on December 11th, 1978. She was described as bright, outgoing, loving. She rode horses, played piano, and she really loved making her friends and family happy. Amy's father described her as a can-do kid that was athletic But he also made sure to describe her to reporters as shy around adults, exclaiming that she wouldn't have approached adults on her own. Her brother Jason described Amy as the younger sister that would sometimes get on his nerves, but that he still loved very much. Amy was close to her parents, and she had a great relationship with them. She had a very typical life in the sleepy town of Bay Village, and she was so loved. Her mother, Margaret, threw her a birthday party when she was still missing, saying in an interview, it's time to come home. You can't have a birthday party without the birthday girl. Oh, my Atlanta, that's so sad. I know. The day she went missing, an officer from Bay Village Police Department gave a presentation to Amy's class about stranger danger. But unfortunately, Amy must not have picked up on some of those clues, which is also so heartbreaking. Because mm-hmm. at 10 years old, you're so naive. Mm-hmm. I remember oh, yeah. being that way. You don't know. You think you know everything, and you really don't know anything. And I'm sure Amy, watching that presentation in her mind, was saying, oh, that's not me. This well, guy is so different than these strangers. He's not a stranger. I've talked to him exactly. a few times. Well, and the worst thing they do with kids is they say stranger danger these people are big scary mean people when 99.999 percent of the time they are not they come off friendly and nice and trustworthy you know like they are everyday people these people abducting children and the strangers we should be worried about are everyday people that look normal act normal blah blah on the lower end you would say they're the typical stranger danger scary people that you don't mess with you know so it's like you're deceiving these children, telling them, oh, they're these big, scary people, when in reality, you know, you need to warn them about the everyday people that you see on the street that come off as, oh, they're just a friendly old man or, you know, whatever the case right. may be. Well, and none of Amy's friends thought to tell their parents about Amy talking to this strange man on the phone until she had been abducted. So yeah. even her friends who also knew about stranger danger weren't thinking oh amy could be in trouble we should probably let an adult know for sure after amy's body was discovered about 50 miles southwest of bay village investigators started trying to determine what had happened 
The coroner determined that Amy had been deceased for some time. It was believed that she was killed shortly after her abduction, probably a few days or less after. She had eaten at least one meal after she was taken. They did find a soy product in her stomach, so mm. it could have been like some type of fast food or Chinese food. Amy had been forcefully struck on the head and then stabbed twice in oh the neck. Oh my gosh. Blood was also found in her underwear that suggests she may have been sexually assaulted uh. before her death. Amy was found in the same clothes that she had been abducted in, but some things were noticeably missing. Her black boots, which they were described as black, almost like riding boots, so kind of mm. just those knee-high ones, and turquoise horse head earrings were nowhere to be found, and they were not on her. Her backpack and white windbreaker were also missing. Inside the backpack was a black leather folder with a brass clasp with the Buick logo and the best-in-class motto on it. This was something that not many people would have had because it was given to Amy by her father, who at the time was working for Buick. Which makes sense, yeah. Investigators believed that the murderer kept these items as souvenirs or trophies. Some other items found near her body were a beige blanket and what was described as an avocado green curtain that seemed homemade and fashioned from a comforter or a quilt. So definitely not something that was store-bought, that you mm -hmm. wouldn't see in the store. At the time, investigators weren't sure how these items pertained to Amy because they were found away from her body about 300 feet. But I think that they were also keeping some things very close to the chest for obvious reasons. Yes. Microscopic fibers that were camel colored were found on Amy's clothing. And analysts determined they came from GM vehicles made between 1975 and 1978. So they came from the carpet of, I'm guessing, the trunk of the vehicle. Mm hmm her nails were also chipped, showing that there were signs of a struggle. So Amy did put up a fight. There was not much evidence to go off of. Years passed, and dozens of men confessed to killing Amy. What? Yes. What so is wrong with people like that? They is so did have many people confess to killing Amy, but none of them turned out to be credible. All of them were turned out to be more or less just psychotic sickos people yeah. Jeez. which is really sad because i'm sure every time someone confessed police are going to do their due diligence and look mm -hmm. into it and every time after someone confessed they found that one man for example was just released from like the psychiatric ward so it wasn't probable yeah but i can't imagine being her family mm -hmm. and thinking was this the person did this happen and then it, oh, nope, just, just to kidding. find out, nope, this man just is having one of his episodes and decided to go ahead and claim to a church full of people that he killed our daughter. That's terrible. Investigators never quit searching for the killer, and Amy's family never lost hope. Sadly, Mark and Margaret Mahalovic divorced less than two years after Amy's murder, which I think you see quite Often. a bit in these cases. And I can't imagine. I could never imagine what it does to a family. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it either really does kind of tear you apart or it brings you closer. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, I feel like people in that much sorrow don't know what to do with themselves. Right. And so they either push or pull mm -hmm. away from people. And yeah, I can't imagine. In 2001, Margaret had passed away from complications from lupus. She was mm -hmm. only 54. So she, unfortunately, she never got to see justice brought for Amy. A lot of people said that the murderer didn't just kill Amy. 
they took Margaret with her because after Amy was found, her body was found, Margaret was never the same. Oh, that's depressing and sad. It wouldn't be until 2006 when investigators would get a new lead in the case. Investigators discovered that other girls had received phone calls from an unidentified male with the same ruse that was used to convince Amy to meet at the shopping center. Wow. These girls were also told that they would be taken to pick out a present for their mother and that there would be a surprise waiting for them, too. Some of these girls that were called lived in North Olmstead, which is a suburb near Bay Village, so not very far away at all, maybe 5-10 minutes. Each girl that was contacted had something in common with Amy. All of them had visited the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center. The girls had signed the visitor's logbook at the entrance and wrote down their names, oh. phone numbers, and addresses. This discovery was big, and it proved that the unknown male that took Amy was most likely from the Bay Village area and had ties to Ashland, where her body was found. Wow. In 2016, investigators and analysts revealed more details to what was found on Amy's body when she was discovered. First, they revealed that she had been partially wrapped in that avocado green colored oh. curtain. So before, they kind of played it off like they didn't know if it had anything to do with her case because mm -hmm. it was found in the field. But they went ahead and released that information that she was partially wrapped in it. Which, which is weird that they said that they also showed the curtain so i'm wondering if they were trying to keep that close to the chest so if they found someone they could try to see if that person knew what she was wrapped in yeah that would make because sense. it was a homemade curtain i'm just thinking it's weird that they revealed it later on i maybe think they were just grasping for something right with new technology they were able to determine that three sets of dna were found on amy's body it was mitochondrial DNA, which is primarily from the hair or bones. Mm. So in Amy's case, it was hair that was tested. One set of DNA was tested, and it was a match for Amy's dog at the time of her kidnapping. Her dog's name was Jake. The other sets of DNA have not matched anyone in law enforcement databases, and they are definitely not related to Amy. Finding Amy's hair on the green blanket also convinced investigators that Amy was transported in that curtain and dumped in it. I think that they released all of that information to try and spark interest in her case again. Mm -hmm, which makes sense. And they showed the curtain to try and see if they could jog somebody's memory and see if somebody would be able to recognize the curtain pattern and perhaps whomever was in possession of it because it wasn't a store-bought brand. It was yeah. definitely homemade. Homemade. Something that if you saw it on TV, maybe you'd recognize it and say, oh my gosh, that's so-and-so. I know who had that. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, though, none of those efforts didn't lead to any new suspects. Which definitely means someone's hiding something because oh, yeah. if it's a homemade curtain, you freaking know. Like, you would be able to look at that curtain and know. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt about it in my mind. So I just, I don't know. That's suspicious as heck to me. As of today in 2023, investigators still have suspects they have not ruled out. So I want to talk about this one suspect because in all of my research, this suspect's name popped up over and over and over. And from what I've read and from what I've seen on like web sleuths and other interviews that reporters have done, this is the suspect that kind of fits the bill. Yeah. But I do want to say he has never been arrested and he's never been booked 
for her mm-hmm. crime. So one suspect they have had since the beginning of the case is Dean Runkle. Many sources say he is the strongest suspect the investigators have. A former teacher in Ohio, Runkle taught in Amherst, which is just 20 minutes west of Bay Village. He often volunteered at the Nature and Science Center that all of the girls, including Amy, had a connection with. He closely matched the description of the composite made by investigators. Wow. And was living in New London, Ohio at the time of Amy's murder, only a few miles away from where her body had been discovered. He was one of the early suspects in the investigation. And when he was asked to provide DNA, Runkle was the only suspect they had that sought legal counsel and refused to give his DNA. Years later, in 2003... Ohio schools started requiring fingerprints be given by teachers that were employed. And yet again, Runkle refused to give his fingerprints and refused to provide his DNA to keep his teaching position at the school. He was one year, 12 months away from being able to cash in like on his pension and retire. Mm -hmm. He only had to work for one more year and he said no. He, Which did that mean he got fired? No. So instead, he took early retirement. So he lost his pension. And he moved what? to Key West, Florida. Oh, my God. That mm-hmm. is absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tw- he only had to do one more year. Just had to give his DNA and his fingerprints to keep his job as a teacher. And instead, just said, nope, I'm just going to retire early, lose out on my pension and all of my financial security, and mm-hmm. move to Key West, Florida. Wow. It was also wildly rumored that Runkle was inappropriate toward female students. So this is another thing where a lot of people did come forward and say that he was inappropriate with certain female students. He had an inappropriate relationship with a male student that he actually at one point set up a trust fund for and then like took away. What? But it's never been confirmed that he was actually inappropriate. It's all just rumors. Well, and you also have to think, you know, 2023, we're very much like, if something happens, speak up about it, you know. Yes, we're like, there. don't stay quiet about it. Yeah, and, you know, we're not. Back then. It was a whole different world. It was. I mean, I. Especially at that age. Yes. Being younger, and it's just. And the age that he taught was a little bit older than 10. Uh, from everything that I read, he taught more of, like, teenagers. He taught science. And I think back then, if a teacher brushed your shoulder or leaned down and whispered something to you it wasn't considered inappropriate like it is today for sure you kind of just allowed it to happen and you didn't think anything of it you just thought oh he's just really nice to sally and he just gives her a little bit more attention but now looking back on it it's like well wait a minute Mm -hmm. well and i mean even back then even full-grown women if you had unfortunately to deal with inappropriate situations all the time Mm -hmm. because it was a very it was stronger of a man's world then than it is even now. So mm-hmm. I mean, you you can't even you couldn't even speak up for yourself back then because you would be considered just the female and you would get fired or moved on. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's just like well, children, his, you're so vulnerable. It's not even funny. His picture also from I'm assuming it's just his employee picture from the mm-hmm. school he was working at. It is very closely resembling that's absolutely insane so i'm wondering do they bring in the the witnesses and say does this man you know like do a lineup do they so i do know in some reports that 
Olivia especially, Amy's friend, but she was only 10 at the time, so I think it was hard for her to fully remember, but every time that they would show her pictures, she would say, this person looks very familiar to that composite, mm -hmm. but she could never positively identify Runkle as the male that had Amy. No one could. None of the witnesses could. They all said the same thing. He looks very much like the composite sketch, mm -hmm. but no one got a very clear picture of him. Yeah. And I think, too, it is hard because when you're looking at somebody Unless you are really looking at them and trying to memorize their features, mm -hmm. you don't fully remember what it is that you're seeing. And they found these witnesses almost 24 hours after Amy had been abducted. Yeah. So by that point, who knows? It could have been Runkle, but who knows for sure? Well, you also have the issue of they're so young. Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't even know if the people in, in a courtroom would even take a 10-year-old's word. Right. Or even the man, one of the witnesses, he was a barbershop owner, and he saw it from his shop. He saw this man leading Amy away, but he was across the parking lot. So how accurate was his description? Exactly. So, But it is still a little unsettling how uh, yeah. eerily similar. Well, and question. Did you see a picture of him? I did. I thought we were going to... I thought we could add it in. Okay. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Um. Do you... Does he have glasses? Yep. Oh, shoot. He's got the same like hairline, the glasses, the same shape, facial shape. It's very uncanny. So when you look at the composite and you look at his picture, you can see the resemblance. And it, it does make you think, I will admit, I was one too that just was like, oh gosh, that's him. And all of the other details that came out about how Are he- Are very suspicious. Well, and he has ties to Ashland. He mm -hmm. grew up. The fact that it was so close to where she was dumped- yeah, two oh, miles. That's crazy. And he gave up his car in 1991. So a year after Amy was discovered. Oh, my he, gosh. His, he gave up his car. Like I, like, I don't believe in coincidences. There's too many. There's too many. Yeah. Oh. But it's just so frustrating because I know investigators, they've come out and they've said that Runkle has never left their suspect list. And they even re-interviewed him again over the years. But there's... Everything How they have is circumstantial. Because with the, the DNA. Like, that's the thing I'm confused about. You have to have a warrant to get somebody's DNA. They have to have enough evidence to prove with, without a reasonable doubt that they believe he could have been the one that committed this crime. A lot of the information that's come out about Runkle has been done by, like, reporters that are trying to like bring... Like, kind of like a hearsay Yeah, sort it's, of most thing. of it's hearsay. I wonder if they were able to ever find his car. Because was the model a GM? Do they know that? It was. Mother trucker. I feel like they need to find that effing car. It was salvaged. He took it to a salvage. Oh, like a like junkyard. Oh, mm -hmm. my. And that's it's been freaking gone. wild. Mm -hmm. That is flipping wild. Oh a my reporter God. was able to find the junkyard that it was dropped off to. And they confirmed, I'm guessing just through their records, that it had been a long, long time since they basically destroyed that yeah, car there's not much after yeah. that dang that's crazy so another suspect that was brought to light in 2019 so a little bit more recently is an unidentified male that was accused by his ex-girlfriend of not coming home the night of amy's murder and was acting very suspicious she claimed that he was very interested in amy's abduction at the time and even claimed to know amy personally this one i have a little bit of issues with but they haven't publicly released his name 
they haven't even said that he's been arrested. No one's been arrested in the case of Amy's murder. Mm -hmm. But I have a difficult time believing that there's much to this unidentified male without hearing the police come out with more information. So right now they did talk to him. He is on their suspect list, but he has not been arrested. He hasn't been cleared, but he hasn't been arrested either. But we don't know his name yet or anything like that. Well, and he could be just like the other people who claimed to have killed her and then just ended up being mentally unstable. Right. Unfortunately. (laughs) Investigators, they have not stopped trying to find Amy's murderer and abductor. There have been no arrests made, but Amy's family is still hopeful that justice will be served. There have been many efforts to keep Amy's case alive and given attention. A documentary was released uh, about a year ago detailing Amy's case and interviewing friends and families to shed new light on the theories surrounding Amy's murder. It originally was aired on Investigation Discovery called the Lake Erie Murders, and Amy's case was one of a few unsolved murders. There's different episodes. Oh, okay. I was like, is there multiple people that were killed like this? No, but her case is one of like the notoriously unsolved murders kind of out in that Cleveland area. Yeah. I did watch the documentary and it was it did give a lot of detail. It went into the different theories that have kind of the investigators have pursued but they've ruled out and the women who were also called by this unidentified male came forward and oh, they spoke. Cool. Most of them were disguised, which I totally understand, but they were able to answer the question that I had the whole time that I was researching this case, why none of them came forward when Amy went missing, mm-hmm. and none of them came forward when it was revealed that an unidentified male had been contacting her, and they all had the same story. They were terrified. This man wasn't caught. He knew their phone number. Oh, he knew their true. address. He knew their name. So if they came forward and they said something, what if he was going to come get them? For sure. So as a child, I can totally empathize what they probably felt like. I, if I were that age and some man had called me and knew my name, knew all that information, and then all of a sudden a girl my age goes missing, I don't think I would tell a soul. I would be too afraid. Yeah. So I, I get that. Yeah, it makes sense completely, unfortunately. So that kind of leads to my really only theory that I have about Amy's case is that she was not this man's first target. I think that there was one young girl that he intended on abducting, but he called her and his ruse didn't work. And then he called a handful of other girls trying to get them to take his bait, but none of them were fooled. Not that Amy was fooled. But he perfected his pitch mm-hmm. and he learned how to become more convincing. He learned how to be more trustworthy and he learned how to get Amy to believe him, blindly trust him, meet him at the shopping center and not even have a second thought. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it was convincing enough to lure Amy to him. I can't say for certain if he ever meant to kill Amy, but I do wonder if killing her wasn't always the initial plan because no other child was abducted or murdered in the area. Nothing like that had ever happened again. So it just does kind of, for me, beg the question if the abductor, if his sole intention was to, and again, I hate saying this, but his sole intention was to maybe in a way kidnap her, assault her, but then let her go. Yeah. 
But when her case became so public so fast, because like we said, back in the 1990s, early 1990s, her being broadcasted as an abducted child right away is, is was very unusual. Un- so I don't think that her abductor was expecting all, all of, of this attention. I mean, and it was very widespread. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. She was kept alive after her disappearance for at least a few days, and she was fed. Mm-hmm. But then also she had defense wounds. So it's very touchy. It's very hard. Well, yeah, and do we think she went into the mall and was fed? They're, so they don't have video surveillance. They're not sure. My What I think is that him making her call her mom from a payphone at the shopping center bought him all the time he needed to get her far enough away as possible. Yeah. And if it was this Dean Runkle that gave him enough time, Ashland is only an hour south of Bay Village. So that would have given him enough time to get her far enough away from Bay Village where nobody was really looking for her yet. Yeah. And knew, knew of her or who she was or anything right. like that. Yeah. But she was obviously kept somewhere. She was fed. I mean, she still had the contents of the food in her stomach. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like she was fed and then starved for a few days. Like yeah. she had had a meal. So whether he murdered her because he was in too far over his head and he thought there was no other way. Another thing, too, though, is that there wasn't any blood on the blanket that she was wrapped in, that curtain. So she was killed somewhere else, kept and killed somewhere else. And it was blunt force trauma, right? She had two stab wounds to the neck. They they said that's what killed her. And then, a yes, a forceful hit to the head. So she was murdered and then transported. Yeah, it's just the whole thing is horrible. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, no one's been arrested. They still have a lot of information that they haven't released to the public. But Amy's case is still very much alive and people are still very much interested in it. There are... A lot of theories out there, but the main one that I see a lot is unfortunately that this Dean Runkle had a lot to do with it. And it is unfortunate because there's a reporter that went down to Key West, Florida, and even confronted him about Amy Mahalovic. And Mr. Runkle said that he had nothing to confess to and that it wasn't him. But like you said, there are so many coincidences. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to ignore. Yeah, and you know, obviously, we always say you're not guilty until you're proven guilty because, unfortunately, sometimes those rare occasions, things look like they're really pointed towards someone and it can ruin their life. Mm-hmm. And then they do have to run away. So we can't say this guy did it for sure or not, obviously. No. But it does look suspicious and if you really didn't do anything wouldn't you just give your dna to prove that you didn't do exactly. it exactly especially after all of these years mm-hmm. and it is sad because time is in a way running out because oh, yeah. whoever abducted amy they're in their late 60s probably early 70s by now mm-hmm. and i mean i would hate for the family to never know really who did it but as it is with some of these cases you you spend your whole life wondering who did it, but never mm-hmm. knowing for sure. So yeah. if you think that you may have any information regarding this case, I urge you to call Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234. Amy and her family still deserve justice, and hopefully with new advancements in forensics, the investigators will be able to come closer to finding her killer. 
Amy's case is not a cold case and is still very actively being pursued. That is something that investigators and the FBI, they have said repeatedly, it's not a cold case, it, that they don't ever plan on classifying it a cold case. As always, thank you for listening to Crime Connections. If you would so kindly follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into, feel free to email us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.